Hey guys, check out Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0, brought to you by Mama Jumbo Shrimp, a fully updated second edition, reviewed and revised by an expert panel of certified Italian wine ambassadors from across the globe. The book also includes an edition by Professore Attilio Scienza, Italy's leading vine geneticist. To pick up a copy today, just head to Amazon.com or visit us at MamaJumboShrimp.com. Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. Hello, everybody. My name is Laika. I am stepping in for Stevie. Um, right now, she is she has just arrived from a, a trip for our mama, John Bruchamp. And then she, she's actually busy right now with some errands and some um, workload to do right now. So I'm stepping in for her. Um, so today we have we have our um, our episode with John Camacho Vidal. So this is, I guess this is um, the second uh, clubhouse after Oscar Arriva Bene, right? Correct. Oh, right. So yeah, it's the second episode for Clubhouse Ambassadors Corner. He's been a really good uh, moderator for us. So I invited him him again for uh, to do another series, uh, to do another episode. So um, for tonight, he will be interviewing um, Simone Scaletta. So I will, before I begin, let me start uh, introducing John by reading his biography. So let me read this part. After moving on for, he's, he's actually from financial services industry. And then John began working as a portfolio manager for the Italian wine merchants in New York, where he honed his passion for wine. He worked for more than 10 years at IWM, so this is Italian Wine Merchants, and he became the portfolio senior portfolio manager, showroom manager, seminar director, and lecturer, making him well-informed <coughs> educator of Italian wine. John believes in sharing not just the experience of tasting wine, but also the stories behind it. In fact, actually, I remember that your Instagram handle is Wine Stories NY, right? John, hello. Tell us about. Yeah, yes, yeah. that is correct. It's Wine Stories NY, which is Wine Stories New York. Okay, so tell us about what you post on um, on your Instagram, Wine Stories NY. Well, I, I actually try to post as much content as possible, whether it's images. Uh, I've gotten into making these small little videos. Uh, many videos turn into one, but I try to show and, and, and you know, the story that goes behind the wine because every wine has a story and every story has a wine to go with it. Oh, right. That's really, really interesting and fascinating at the same time. So um, I guess you're also an Orvieto ambassador. Tell us more about that. Yes, uh, Orvieto, uh, along with um, uh, a group of friends, we all went to Orvieto. We were invited, and it was one of the most amazing experiences because we 
were able to delve into not only all things Orvieto, but specifically the wines, of course. Um, and as an ambassador of Orvieto, as an Italian wine ambassador, uh, my objective is to turn everybody from a wine drinker into an Italian wine drinker. Uh, and then as an Orvieto ambassador to guide them and let them know about this little region that has just gotten forgotten. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Actually, I was just editing this, uh, an interview with Ricardo Cotarella, and then he was talking about um, finding regions that are, you know, worth speaking about. So that's really, I mean, that's really, uh, I think we have to focus on these regions that, you know, we, we actually never never looked into, you know. Um, so, yeah, our, I guess Arvieto is become it's, it's actually one of them, and it's actually becoming um, more interesting in the wine community. Um, and then Correct. you also have a, have a special collaboration with Wine Link Italy. So tell us something more about this. So a very good friend of mine, Barbara Diagabiti, she runs a tour operator called Wine Link Italy. Uh, she's also very, very much involved with the Slow Wine movement. She's one of the writers or journalists for Slow Wine, along with uh, Federica Randazzo. And uh, I'm fortunate that they allow me to write along with them whenever they taste one, whenever they go on their tours, uh, interviewing different producers, specifically in the area of Emilia Romana. By the way, I hope that everybody has their friends and families from Emilia are safe with all the flooding that's going on. Um, but it is a beautiful region full of beautiful wines. I'm a big Lambrusco fan. And we're actually trying to put together an Emilia Surly event here in New York and Miami. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, and Wine Link uh, with Barbara, uh, she is one of those individuals that allows me to explore all the regions in Italy. And she kind of guides me. She does all the grunt work and eliminates the uh, non-worthy, uh, you know, not to waste your time and only taste those really great producers, so to speak. That's a good partnership. Yes, um, yes, there's something going on right now um, in Emilia-Romagna area. But um, I guess there's fl some flooding in Romagna and um, I hope everybody's safe at the moment. Yeah, so let's go ahead with uh, our interview. Um, I have to ask you three questions before you go ahead asking uh, to ask um, Simone. First, uh, why did you select Simone Scaletta as your favorite producer? Well, uh, again, being a storyteller or a wine storyteller, uh, Simone has a great story. Uh, I've known him for some years now, and I've seen and tasted the evolution of his wines. Uh, he makes great wines that are terroir and passion-driven. And again, more importantly, uh, there are many stories out there, but when you're able to actually tie that story with the passion and taste the results of that passion and the story is just great for me. So I wanted to share that and, and introduce him. So what are the learning objectives that we should expect from this interview? Well, I guess specifically, um, you know, let the wine community out there, specifically Barolo lovers, that uh, there's a new kid on the block that's full of passion. He makes spectacular award-winning wines because he has received some awards and, and he's right out of Monforte de Alba. Um, and he's one of the, uh, one of those, People we could add to that 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 roster or that 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 list of wines that we like to enjoy and drink. And how did you discover the wines of Simone Scaletta Vini? Uh, again, a few years ago, I was uh, doing a tour in uh, in Umbria in, in in Montefalco, as a matter of fact, and I was on my way to uh, north of Piemonte. And when I mentioned to the journalists at Slow Wine that I was on my way, uh, they all said, you have to go visit Simone Scaletta. Uh, he's a new rising story in Monforte de Alba. Uh, he's just putting his things together, and it's a great uh, opportunity to get in on the ground level and see him on the ground level. So I did, and the rest is history, and it's been, it's been a lovely journey with him. 
That's great. Okay, so I will mute myself, and then the floor is yours now, John. So, as I was saying, Simone Skeleton is one of the new rising stars amongst the new winemakers in the Langa's new generation. Uh, his passion for wine and for the Langa, it speaks for itself. Uh, this is the same passion that led him to give up his day job in Turin without, and come to, you know, to an area without any family holdings in Barolo. Uh, he set out to build a magnificent cantina in the heart of Monforte de Alba, uh, an area that had no real estate. Uh, he was able to actually obtain vineyards in famous crews that had no real estate available. Uh, and as far as his winemaking goes, uh, you know, Simone is one of those individuals that uses cutting edge techniques. Again, in a region known for tradition, he blends those cutting-edge techniques with uh, a type of viticulture philosophy that is extra careful about the soil, extra careful about the quality of the area and the biodiversity that 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 he is surrounded by. Um, and I'm very grateful that Simone accepted my invitation uh, to be on the Tell Me Wine podcast uh, to share his story with all of us. So uh, thank you very much, uh, Simone, and welcome. Thank you very much for your presentation. It's very good. <laughs> yeah, Simona, I, I guess what I want to share with everybody is to let them know about you. Again, the, the new kid on the block, the Barolo boy, a young Barolo boy, I think a baby when it comes to that. I know that you're originally from Turin. Can you tell us a little bit about your background, how you came to the land of Monforte de Alba, um, and, and why you chose this path of wine? Uh, I, 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 I am a doctor in poli political science and my background is uh, in graphic arts. I used to sell products for printers and when I started this business, there were 12 big uh, companies and remain only three. In 2002, I have done a course in enology, marketing, while I did my previous job. At this time, I have started to decide to change my job paths. And when I did a stage for this course, I find uh, I found my current house on sale in a village newspaper. I spent uh, two years and enough to buy this house and land because the owners were nine cousins and they were bankrupt and the uh, Yuzu Capion. It was a very difficult purchase, but uh, I have managed to buy. I had to be very determined uh, from the beginning. Bravo, that's amazing. In, in, a, in a local newspaper ad, that is, wow, uh, unheard of in an area, again, that just has no real estate. Uh, and what about analogy? Where did you learn your winemaking? What is your winemaking background? Did you just learn uh, as you went? Are you self-taught or... Or did you have the opportunity to work alongside other people? Uh, in different way. I have learned enology during a course in Barolo and in Brescia with uh, Professor Scienza. And uh, I have worked for many different producers before 2002 and after when the company was starting up. But I am still learning still now. Is uh, Every day you learn something different. I guess like every time, everything in wine is a, a never-ending, a perpetual journey, and that's what is so wonderful about it. Everything changes on us, and, and we continue. Um, Chenza, I know very, I, I took the course, Rivia, we're all familiar with Papadacenza. We all love Papadacenza. Um, 
Simone, where are your vineyards located? What what are the main differences in the soils and the exposures? You know, they, what what can you tell us about the vineyards? I know you have two two main vineyards, but tell us a little bit about, about those. Okay, my position in Monforte d'Alba is uh, in the heart of Brico San Pietro Cru. I have uh, seven hectares of vineyards, and uh, five are very close to the cellar. And uh, the vineyards of Barolo are uh, well uh, exposed to the south, over 320 meters altitude. For example, if you compare the technical analysis of the soil from Brico San Pietro to Bussia, you see that in Brico San Pietro there is more limestone, while in Bussia there is more clay. So uh, become uh, different uh, wines with a different characteristic. Now, I know that Brico, uh, San Pietro, and uh, Bussia, th those are the two largest crews in Monforte, if not the largest ones, correct? Uh, I think are the largest, both, okay. both. Yeah, being, being that being that they're very long, where so just so we have an idea, are the your your Busia vineyard, for example, your your vines are they closer to the Barolo side or are they? You said they're right in the heart. Um, just so I get an idea, because they're they're very large, and I think the listeners will get an idea of more or less where, where you're located uh, there, that way. I, I I am located uh, close to the the cellar, close to the old cellar of uh, Domenico Clerico. And uh, and in Bussia, I have the vineyards uh, uh, close uh, to uh, um, to Cascina Schluna. Okay. On the uh, Giacomo Fenocchio cellar, close to the Giacomo Fenocchio cellar. But uh, in Bussia, I rent the vineyards. Okay, bravo. I understand. Now, as I said, Bussia and Monforte, you know, the, 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 the two largest crews. And I think what is fascinating, you touched a little bit earlier. You said you purchased the uh, the vineyards from your um, your cousin. Uh, how did that come about? Because you know it, we're talking about a region that has no real estate. We're talking about an area that is famous. Uh, everyone wants to own a piece of of, of land there, uh, and there isn't any. So how were you able to get those those five or seven hectares that you're working right now? Uh, uh, what uh, I did in 2002 will be impossible now because the price of the vineyards are very high and there is less space available. And uh, so uh, in, in the beginning, I, I have uh, a lot of... Uh, Patience to to start to buy this uh, this uh, house with the land, be, because there was uh, many problems, and um, I can uh, buy because the price was uh, low about this reason. Wow, wow! And one thing that I think is also very spectacular about your story, um, I read somewhere, I heard from some somebody that you actually slept in a van for many months before your, your, your vines were actually ready or your container was ready to move in. How do you think uh, this helped you? Do you think it, it put you closer to, to, to nature, closer to understanding your vines? Uh, unfortunately, uh, aren't uh, months, but uh, years, eight years. But um, was uh, 
a necessity, not a, a choice. Because with my little money, I invest first in the vineyards, after in the cellar, and at, at the end in the house. The link with the vineyards is very deep. And now I can stay one month without seeing the vineyards and uh, the Monviso that I see very well from here. So, so I'm right in assuming that that helped you understand more your land, being so close to them and being able to see what was happening. Um, so you're able to have an instinct, so to speak, for your land. Is that correct? Yeah, it's very important to have a very link with the, with the vineyards uh, and understand what's happened and what is the best to, to do. You have to follow, you have to be always here. Allora, when I first met you, you were just starting to build a cantina. I think uh, I think I was one of the first people to stay in your in your new house, if I'm not mistaken. Um, when you were building your cantina, what was your main focus? What what was the most important part for you that you tried to maintain? I, I know it must have been a very difficult and long journey. It's still a journey, but for you, what was the most important thing when you were creating that cantina? When I built the cellar, the most important things for me was to build under the soil and not visible from outside. But the part that I prefer is the art of the cellar, where are the big barrels and uh, the tonneau. Bravo. You, you're using, uh, and what about the, uh, the, the, the space? How, how large is your cantina right now? is uh, about uh, 400 meters but uh, i i put the body uh, of three three thousand liters one up uh, the other so it's very tall yeah so uh, and, uh, is it all by gravity or did you do it in a way that you could take advantage of the gravity or are you using any mechanical pumps or, or tell us a little bit about the work no. in your cantina i i i I work with a peristaltic uh, pump that is very delicate with the grapes and uh, is on the same level, but uh, is uh, very close, very close. And uh, and uh, it, the, the cantina is divided one part with the stainless steel where I do the vinification, another part where uh, I have the wood the tonneau and the big barrel and another part where I, I stock the bottles without the label and with the label. Bravo. And then, you know, I think one thing that's very important for us consumers or wine drinkers is that there is so much diversity. Uh, there's so much talent in the Lange, um, you know, in Barolo, in, in Pablesco, in the Lange in general, there's so many styles and different expressions of winemaking, uh, the philosophy, the terroir that each producer has. And I know that you, for example, have been tagged a Barolo boy. Uh, I believe you were president of the Barolo boy soccer team, if I'm not mistaken. Um, when people hear Barolo boys, they automatically think of modern winemaking and French barrique. And for those young guys out there who don't know what a Barolo boy is, I recommend that you go and Netflix the movie Barolo Boys. It gives you a whole explanation of what that movement was. Um, Simone, what do you consider Simone Scaletta wine and uh, your winemaking philosophy to be? Uh, I was proud to be the president of the Barolo Boys for 
ATS. Um, the Barolo Boys is an association of uh, the Barolo producer of Monforte, only Monforte, that are uh, a, a 44, 44 producer. And we organize a, a tasting with uh, our wines and the wines of our other region that we invited in um, this year, the 27th of May. And uh, together this, uh, we have uh, the, the football team. But uh, it's, it's very important to, to tell that uh, the, is all the, quite all the producers that participated to this uh, association. Is, for Monforte, is very important. And uh, about my philosophy about the wine is uh, that the Nebbiolo is very important grapes. So the wood must help me to respect the quality obtained in the vineyards. And for that reason, I use big barrel and tonneau 500-600 liters to have the wine very fresh and clean. Bravo. And by, by having that aspect of... Sorry, so, sorry, Camacho. I think that uh, today is... Uh, Uh, today, um, there is no reason to compare the traditional winemaking with the modern, uh, because these two worlds now are very closed to one other. Um, the, the, the traditional in, in the last years start to do something in direction to the modernist and uh, vice versa. So there is no so big difference between the two worlds. So you're saying that after all these years, they have come to some sort of happy middle, middle ground, so to speak, uh, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. So that they're, they're yeah. all intertwined. Yeah. About, about all they, they put in the, in the first, uh, the first thing, the, the Nebbiolo. The wood is only an help to around, but not to put uh, vanilla taste or oak taste inside the wine both the the producer i think and also in the vineyards uh, it's difficult to explain this but uh, the arrival of the modern help to the traditional italian wine podcast brought to you by mama jumbo shrimp to change something in the vineyard to to increase the quality So he's a mixed. But I, I think that's very important. I think that's a very, very good point that we've, we've reached, reached that level where, you know, modern techniques or, or, or you know, modern equipment has actually helped the uh, traditional producer give us a better product. I think that is amazing that they're able to come both ways. Now, I... I heard you tell me, and, and I've written, read what you've written, that you personally, Simona Scaletta, you follow the rhythm of the vines, uh, the rhythm of nature, you know. So since you're talking about the, uh, the, the you know, your, your vineyard management, give us an example of, of your canopy management. Uh, you know, it, it is, do you feel the wine is created from, from the earth or, or is it created in the cantina? Um, give us your idea, your philosophy on that. No, the art of everything is the vineyard, sure. I I started uh, this year to uh, 
the conversion in organic uh, working, but uh, seven years that I do the cover crops, I plant uh, 12 different essence to fertilize in a natural way the soil. I don't use uh, the pesticide, but I clean where there is the, the plant uh, with the machine. And I use products that cover the leaves and not go inside the slime of the plant. Another thing that I do was that I have uh, vineyards where the deer eat the bats. And uh, I put in all perimeter of the vineyards the sheep wool that are antagonists with the deers without using any chemicals to the plant. Bravo. I'm a big fan of that. What about uh, yeah. biodynamic practices or, or biodynamic treatments like teas or, or anything like that? Do you use any of those products or only lunar cycles? Uh, sincerely, I... I I don't understand very well this um, is just enough is if in the vineyard I work uh, with uh, respect of the of the forest around the vineyards uh, the vineyards and all what there is uh, in the vineyards yeah Bravo. so I guess that brings me to the next question I have uh, as you know I'm a big fan of slow wine uh, similar movements, like like I mentioned, Emilia Sergli, you know, the slow intervention. Um, is this something that you always wanted to have uh, when you first initially said, "I'm going to start growing some vines, start making some some barolo, some some make wine in general"? Did you always have it in the back of your mind that you were going to use this type of style, or was this something that evolved as you were in your journey? Uh, yeah. Yes, I received the awards for the Barolo Bussia 2018 from Slow Wine. But I, in, in 80s, this could be changed the life of the producer to receive the awards like this. But now is important, but not like in the past. This was a fair awards of appreciating my wines of the small producer. Every year, I try to increase the quality of the wine, but uh, there are so many aspects to follow that is difficult to understand if the change is better or not. But in any case, I try to increase the quality. Bravo. But, but I guess what I'm trying to say, ask is, this was always something you wanted, you know, uh, to, to this, this type of winemaking. Um, you always wanted to, to do this, or was something that in the past you just wanted to make good wine and if you had to use chemicals you use chemicals it didn't matter to you at what point did you decide to do your vinification or your canopy management in a natural way uh, is uh, is uh, is important that uh, the uh, the producer decided alone the way of the philosophy like uh, make wine and uh, and following this, uh, you decided that you like you. You can choose uh, the the work in the vineyards and the work in the cellar. But it's important to have uh, an objective. And if you get uh, an awards, is uh, better for the sale. Yeah, mm -hmm. bravo. Okay. 
And what about like, let's say you're, you're, you're the type of the way you make your wine is also very, very interesting. And, and I should have said that earlier. Um, for example, um, you use the large barrels. Um, how long do you maintain that process? I mean, do you, uh, each field is vinified separately? Uh, do you do them together? You know, tell me a little bit about your vinification. How, how is the wine made? Each uh, vineyard is vinificated, separated to another. And, uh, and uh, normally for the Lange Nebbiolo, the vinification is about 15 days. So it means then when finish the alcoholic fermentation, I separate the skin to the wine. While in the Barolo, uh, normally, I do the vinification, the, uh, when uh, finish the alcoholic fermentation, follow a maceration for 45, uh, 50 days to, to, to have a, a wine more complex. Mm -hmm. So that was, that would be old school style, you know, long maturations. Oh, and you, and again, oh, yeah. you're, but, using, but, you're using big barrels. Yeah, 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 yeah. For big barrels and tonneau. Uh, the tonneau, I think that is a, a right compromise because uh, the wine, in the wine, you don't feel too much wood, but you have the wine very fresh and clean. Mm. And so, how long is it in the wood? In the wood, is normally is uh, 24 months. Uh, for for example, for the Barolo Kirlet, is uh, 12 months in, in uh, tonneau. 500, 600 liters and 12 months in big barrel. For the Busia, uh, I have a small quantity, so it's uh, 24 months in tonneau, 500, 600 uh, liters. Wow. Allora, you make uh, barrels of Dolcetto, Barbera, you do Nebbiolo, Lange Nebbiolo, and you have two Barolo, one Barolo from San Prieto Cru and one Barolo from the Busia Cru, correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Two, two different Langenebiolo. One is uh, uh, Utin and Madama, that is aged one year in wood and one year in concrete. And another is uh, Utin et Professor, that is uh, aged only in stainless steel. I put in the bottle six months after the uh, vinification. And is, uh, the vinification is about 25 degrees to maintain the, the smell more developed. And these are both from the same vineyard, just two different styles? Uh, uh, different. Uh, uh, I, uh, for the Utine Professor, normally I choose uh, the vineyard more young, while for Utine uh, uh, Madama are vineyards that have uh, 20 years. For the Barolo, they're older. No. I mean, if, and I will say to the listeners, if anyone out there is able to taste both of these, uh, like in a yellow side by side, you will see how, how beautiful, elegant, and, and what a difference the two do. I mean, it's just uh, amazing how, how they do. W what would you say is your favorite grape to work with right now and why? <laughs> it's an easy question, this, because uh, my, my favorite grapes is Nebbiolo in uh, all the version. Uh, and uh, it's, a, it's a grape very particular. And uh, I think that um, uh, to work the Nebbiolo, because it's a fantastic grape, very complex, and uh, every year surprise me because change something and every year is different to the other. Right. Wow, wow, that's really interesting. What, uh, you know, what, what would you say as, as far as, you know, when, when you have all these different 
plus and different bottlings because it's quite two two nebbiolos and then and then the, the barolos and all that. Um, and you you love to work with nebbiolo in particular. Is there one particular in tune? You're in tune with one vineyard than the other. Do you treat them the same? And I guess which is your baby? The the, the little piece from San Prieto or the little piece from Busia? Which is the one that you find yourself sitting there like, oh wow, I made it. This is this is me. This is what I do. Uh, uh, my my baby is uh, Barolo Pierlet Brico San Pietro because he's the first uh, Barolo that I made in two thousand three, and uh, and uh, I follow the vineyard uh, with a big attention. Yeah. And what was the yeah. big difference? I think you saw it in your evolution from the first Barolo to to now to your current release. What what do you think has been the biggest difference or evolution the, the, rather? Uh, I I tasted uh, recently 2008 and 2012 and uh, is uh, are very good now. Um, the biggest difference is that in the beginning uh, I use the the barrique instead of the tonneau and the and the big barrel. And also the vinification in the past was uh, a little bit shorter than now. The biggest difference are this, but uh, if you tasted a wine very old, 20 years old, 15 years old, uh, the difference in in the wood, you, you don't feel so much difference, I think. Uh, you know, when, I guess another question that I am curious about, and, and most people I think would appreciate, a lot of the Barola producers that I've spoken to in the past few months tell me that, you know, we, we're all aware of global climate change. Um, they're saying that in the past, the warm vintages were the good vintages. But now, because of what's happening with global warming, uh, everyone says that the cold vintages in Barola are making the good vintages. What do you what do you feel about that in, in global warming? What what do you think is happening there? Is that true? That statement? Uh, yes, happens, and uh, we we change uh, uh, some operation in the vineyard. For example, in the past we remove all the leaves close to the grapes. Now we we leave the the leaves on the plant because. Uh, on summer, the, the, the sun burns the skin of the grapes. And another operation that sometimes when it is so much warm, I do a, a powder, powder of marble, the caolino, that is like a, a sun cream to protect the skin of the grapes. And... Uh, uh, I agree with you that uh, the best vintages are uh, more uh, more balanced, where there is the sun, but not too much. In fact, I do the Barolo Reserva uh, in 2019, but uh, and in 20, but I think that 21 and 22 uh, are very are the, the vintage so warm so I, I don't know if I do the Barolo Reserva for example is a reflection that I I make uh, next year oh, wow. 
Okay. So you have a more projects coming up. Do you think that you're going to expand uh, the current modelings that you have currently? Um, or is that enough? Or, or are you just going to work increase the quality? Or do you have more wines or more bottlings that you think you're going to try to make or put together? No. Uh, no. Increase uh, the, the vineyard, no. Um, I want... Uh, to increase uh, the sale of the bottle in in the right way, but uh, small quantity, yeah, in, in the next year, yeah. And, uh, you know, one thing that I think is very important that I noticed, uh, you have gained the respect of the vignerones or the vintners in, in, in an area that's tied I to tradition. So. <laughs> Yeah. Um, for what I understand, it, it's something difficult for an outsider to enter as a winemaker in the area. And you've done that. Um, you mentioned, for example, also that you worked uh, very, your, your, your one of the venues is next to uh, uh, Credit Coast Cantina. Um, so my question is, who's your biggest influence? Who, who do you admire um, in the region as far as winemaker? Um, is, is it true that you work with Domenico Clerico for a little while? Uh, is uh, Domenico Clerico has helped me because in 2002 and 2003 he do the vinification. I did not add uh, a cellar and um, he made uh, the wine for me in his cellar and uh, this was so generous. Uh, these things uh, permit me to start to make wine, uh, to sell the bottles uh, many years before and uh, Domenico was a very particular a special a special person uh, very generous and uh, wild but very generous and all the Barolo region uh, progressed thanks to Domenico and his action like uh, other producers naturally yeah but uh, Domenico was a, a particular person really Really, he, he find me in a vineyard in 2003 and tell me uh, these vineyards of uh, Dolcetto I don't rent anymore. If you want, you can uh, take these vineyards instead of me. And I tell him, but uh, uh, Domenico, I don't have the cellar. What I do of this grape? And he tell me, so I help you. You can uh, do the wine in my cellar. Was fantastic. Yeah. Well, may you yeah. rest in peace, wonderful person. And, and yeah. if you had to be, you know, because everyone has their own style, um, but if you had to, I don't know, be compared uh, to another winemaker, who would you say is the closest comparison in the Lange to you? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I am an outsider, so I, I can't uh, reply to this uh, question. You wow. you have to you have to imagine that in Montfort when I arrived, no, when I arrived twenty years ago in Montfort, one person tell me that um, uh, in Montfort they divided the people that born in the house and the people that born in the hospital in Alba. So I come from Turin, so I have a very foreigner. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I think that's also one of the things that uh, that attests that shows your passion, uh, the fact that yeah. you have been uh, welcomed sure. and embraced in that particular region. Uh, and yeah. Another, you in the beginning you mentioned that your trade was uh, lithography. You do uh, printing, and and your labels are very very unique. And I know this is something that you and I have gone. Um, what is, for example, what is the main focus for you when when, when people see your label when they see your wine um, what is that connection what, what, what tell us a little bit about that uh, um, my label are very particular because are made of uh, stefano frassetto that is a cartoonist that, that work uh, for liberation le temps and 20 minutes in switzerland and uh, for europe there is no problem while in usa is very difficult to accept for example this uh, label because uh, when uh, they think in USA when they think to a Piedmont they think to a classical label so sometimes it's very difficult to explain if the people come in the cellar and I explain that uh, Stefano Fa is a idea from Stefano Facetto they understand but uh, but in USA normally it's difficult that they understand that is a particular label uh, that means that uh, I have a new producer, and uh, I start with a different uh, style, and uh, and and this, yeah, yeah. Right. And you know, I I always say I'm I'm one of those fans that says that uh, the the wine represents the winemaker and, and the philosophy and the style. I mean, you could you, the personality comes through uh, in the wine itself, but when you Put one and one together, for example, the wine and the label, you get more of that connection with the winemaker. So I get to understand more about you and, and, and your personality when I see the labels. They're beautiful. Uh, I say my favorite is the one with the little horse. If, if anybody goes into the, the websites. You see the, the labels that I'm talking about and they're, they're wonderful, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's the, the, the bozzetto of the, the sample of the Barolo Bussia label, yeah, with the off. Yeah. Is there any, are you looking to change those a little bit? Is there going to be modification, like you said, for the American markets or, or are you going to keep them the same? Uh, for American market, uh, maybe, while in Europe, uh, will be always the same, with uh, some little change, but uh, always the same. Now, one thing that always fascinates me, Simone, and I think that you, this is a, you are one of those perfect producers, you know, because we always hear about second, third, or, or fourth generation uh, families taking over the cantina or taking over the vineyard. Um, and those are beautiful stories because there's so much history. Uh, you see it with Gaia Gaia, you see it with, uh, with, with, uh, Giacosas, you see, it, you know, the, 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 you know, the, you know, the Scavinos, all those generations that are, are taking over their grandfathers or grandfathers. You are a new story. You know, uh, for me, I'm, it's refreshing because as beautiful as those stories are, I'm able to taste the new boy on the block, uh, to taste a little bit of history in the making, so to speak. And I want to know what has been your biggest challenge in your story so far? Uh, the, I think that the big, biggest uh, challenge in my story was uh, to buy the land without uh, knowing the future, what uh, I do in the future. If I 
can to produce uh, wine in the bottle or not and so on uh, and uh, was a uh, real a uh, 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 certain moment uh, that I didn't, I don't know before. And then uh, there is also adapting to a small village and, uh, and sell the wine all, in all the world also is a challenge every day for a small producer. Yeah. Bravo, bravo. How did that come about? I mean, I think the most fascinating thing, and, and I'm sorry to everybody for being redundant or repeat something, but it's just, remember, there is no land and you were able to get it. You mentioned that you bought the kind the vineyards in Busia and 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 San Pietro. How did you acquire? Was it many negotiations? Was it easy? Did you say, "Hey, how much?" And here I am. Or or were people reluctant to give you an opportunity? How did that come? <laughs> no, um, in in Busia I rent the vineyard, while in Buico uh, San Pietro I, I I am the owner. And um, but in. For example, in the beginning, when I arrived here in Brico San Pietro, the, the neighbors tell me, why you plant a Nebbiolo? Uh, because um, them, they thought that, uh, that uh, the, the grace most important was the dolcetto, but was the old style, this. And now the same uh, people uh, plant uh, the Nebbiolo. Yeah. Bravo, and uh, in the beginning it was very difficult to introduce uh, for many different reasons, but uh, with uh, a lot of determination, I, I get it to this place and then I put another place after some years and now it's uh, a little, uh, a little uh, uh, producer. Yeah. So, so you, you had a good relationship with the people that you purchased it from, correct? I mean, they, 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 they believed in you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, also, yeah, 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 yeah. Also, they, they, some, some neighbors uh, close to here. They, 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 they think that in two years I go away while uh, I am still here. <laughs> other, other, yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, well, so so much time in the van. I think now, Alora, it was a nice van, right? It, it was a, an RV, or was it a small van? Because to be there that long, you must have had some comforts, no? No, no not so much. Because uh, this time, the money is was for plant the vineyards and uh, and do other things. <laughs> so not so not so good. And uh, for for fourteen years, I I make every day Torino Monforte. Oh, wow. Now that's I nice I live here. Now I live here. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a, a yeah. commute. What, the, what? Tell me about the small wineries out there. The the wineries that are building an exceptional quality and image. I mean, is in terms of viticulture. What advice do you have for somebody who maybe not maybe not in Monforto, maybe not in Delange, because like I said, there's no 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 space. But what advice would you give to somebody who has the same dream as you, who's starting? Who's, who's just saying, oh, tomorrow I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to go and I'm going to buy vineyards. What advice do you have? <laughs> a lot of uh, determination. And uh, and I, I have also, I, I, I was also lucky to, to find some place. And uh, I, I had a lot of determination and uh, 
and then uh, uh, for for 15 years uh, i was always uh, under pressure to to make uh, the vineyard to make uh, to start to sell the wine and was uh, without knowing the future so was very particular this moment with uh, a lot of uh, effort and a lot of sacrifice in the beginning And just go back to a little bit. What is your production right now? Like like we said earlier, you have Dolcetto, Barbera, two uh, Langen Violo, and two Barolo. So what is your total and, production? And, and three Barolo. Barolo Kirlet, Brico San Pietro, Barolo Bussia, and Barolo Reserva. That comes exactly. from Brico San Pietro. Yeah. And I produce 35,000 bottles. Total. Yeah, in total of uh, seven uh, different wines. Yeah. And, and what is the future what where where would you be comfortable where are you happy to say okay i only have you know uh four hectares or five hectares here and then the ranch that i rent seven hectares total what is in your mind the maximum that you say okay from here i cannot control quality so where where do you think you top it no uh until now uh, part of my production i sell to other producer my dream should be to sell everything uh, every all in bottle and uh, arrive to about uh, 50,000 bottles to, to have uh, two more employees. The, the objective is this. Yeah. Bravo. Well, that's a good point. How many people work with you now? You're solo, no? Now we are in, uh, we are in uh, four. So one in the cellar, one uh, in the field and one uh, that drive the tractor and me yeah and and as far as the cantina itself um you know the barrels that you have there do you have you said you have 400 square meters you have room for expansion if you wanted to i have a a space but i don't want to have uh, to to build uh, new things i don't want to to because it's very difficult to follow the, the price uh, when you build a cellar so is uh, too uh, is enough for what I built. Mm. Ah, bravo. And you know, Simone, una demanda molto importante. I think the most important question everybody wants to hear is what does Simone Scaletta drink at home? When you come home and you're tired and you want to have a good glass of wine, what do you drink at home? Oh, who, <laughs> who do you drink at home? Uh, normally, I, I drink uh, I drink Nebbiolo uh, from uh, from Piedmont, but also from uh, from other region. I like to taste uh, Lange Nebbiolo, Barolo, Barbaresco, and uh, Gattinara, and and see a comparison. Yeah, and to understand uh, better. What, what about Chavinasca from Valterina? You like that Alpine Nebbiolo? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sometimes I try and uh, are very different to the Nebbiolo of the Lange, but uh, they are very good. Yeah, some Gattinara also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's bravo. I, I really enjoy yeah. that. Um, yeah. And as far, as far as food in the region, I mean, do you think your wine is very food friendly? Um, I, I personally find your bottlings to be approachable early on. I, I think you could enjoy them early and, and then see that evolution in the cellar. But do you think your wines are uh, very food friendly for the food that from the regions or, or, or not food friendly? 
uh, I hope so. I hope. And the um, most important things is that uh, must be easy to drink. Uh, um, also, if uh, they are young. And I hope that uh, the people appreciate this. Yeah. And Simone, what is, what is the future? What is the future with Simone Scalettavini? What where, <laughs> where do you see what's happening? Do you are you going to work with white grapes? I mean, what is the future for you? I, I thought about uh, white wine, but uh, um, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I do a. I have a. I have a. A test I make in future uh, 300 bottles of uh, pure Merlot, only 100% Merlot, and uh, age in the wood and uh, start to sell after four years uh, from the harvest. Yeah. Oh, wow. But, yeah, oh, that's, that's All, always red, always red. Uh, but it's a very particular thing because it's the first grapes that is not uh, autochthona from here. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I would love to taste that. Um, you know, look, I, I have a million questions I could ask you and we could go on and on, but I know that we have uh, a time constraint here. So I just wanted to turn it over back to Laika. Um, I know she might, might have a few other questions that I, I missed, but it's very important. <laughs> it's for you. My question to you is: um, Do you have a favorite dish that your nona used to make, and which what dish is this, and which wine do you have that you'll pair it with this particular dish that you like? <laughs> uh, two dishes. Okay. One is the, the banya cauda, that is. Uh, a, a dish made only with oil, garlic, and anchovies. And uh, you put in this sauce uh, different vegetables. And the perfect wine is the Barbera, also if he's uh, very young. And uh, another dish is the Agnolotti with the meat inside. And uh, I think that with this is a good uh, a barolo. Oh yeah, Every, anything with meat, I guess, uh, pairs well with uh, a glass of barolo. Oh well, so um, thank you so much for your time. Uh, and I would like to tell you that this session is recorded, and then we will put it up on Italian Wine Podcast. It's on SoundCloud, Spotify. Um, iTunes, wherever you get your pods, um, it will be up on um, on Thursday next week. So yes, I'll let you know. And so for the next uh, clubhouse, we've got Slawek Kominski. Um, he will be interviewing Marco Biscardo. He is the owner of Inobis Company and also the owner of Fosso Corno. So that's going to happen on Friday at 4.30 p.m. Italian time zone since at that at that moment Marco's going to visit Slavek in Poland. So that's really amazing um, how we connect um, the Italian wine world. So yes, that's it. And thank you so much, guys. Um, it's been a real pleasure to have you here on Clubhouse Ambassadors Corner. Bye. Bye everyone. Thank bye you. bye. Once again, here we go. Swirl, sniff, sip.
Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin.